Welcome to the Fremantle Arts Centre podcast. My name is Davey Craddock. I program the Music at the Arts Centre and this is really a place where we can connect you with the musicians and artists that we were working with prior to COVID-19 and also some that we're probably going to start working with during COVID-19 because uh, that's the way of the world at the moment. We have to keep forging on. In this week's episode, we'll be chatting to two musicians behind the project, A Truckload of Sky, The Lost Songs of David McComb. Now, this is a new album which was released in February and a live show which we were due to have at the Art Centre in May, which we've just announced will be rescheduled for Jan 30, 2021. David McComb was, of course, the frontman and songwriter in legendary West Australian band The Triffids. The Triffids were inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame in 2008 and David tragically passed away in 1999. He was just 36. Today we're speaking to Robert McComb, David's brother and guitarist in the Triffids, and Evil Graham Lee, the pedal steel player in this phenomenal, evocative, distinctly Western Australian act. David left behind many Triffids albums which have been acclaimed and poured over by fans and critics and his own solo work. But what is exciting and very tantalising about this show is that he also left behind unrecorded demos uh, which have now been brought to life by his dear friends and contemporary musicians who didn't know him and that is the album A Truckload of Sky, The Lost Songs of David McComb. There's a great ensemble of musicians on the album. On top of Graham and Rob McComb being involved, there's Rob Snarsky from the Black Eyed Susans, Phil Kukulis from the Black Eyed Susans who was also a founding member of the Triffids, Alex Gow from Move Mercy, Angie Hart from Frente, Romy Vega from RVG, Simon Breed, and I'm sure there's a bunch more I'm forgetting, but it really is a cool album. I can't stress enough. Give it a listen. Uh, they don't sound like dusty old songs. They sound like they could have been written yesterday. There's so many kind of contemporary ideas that could be picked out of them that relate to what we're going through right now. It's kind of spooky. I hope you enjoy this chat with Graham and Rob. Make sure you subscribe, tell your friends. If you come to the Art Centre normally, we're going to try and recreate some of that connection we have there in the physical space. Here's a little snippet of a new David McComb song. It's so good to be home before we hear from Graham, then Rob. It's so good to be home Yes, it's so good to be home Yeah, so good to be home Most of these songs are actually come from, from Dave's songwriting cassettes. And I kind of I, I stumbled across most of them when, when I was trying to put together a 10-CD box set some time ago. And we didn't end up using any of these because they're not they're not really Triffids related, and the ten CD box set was yep. Triffids related. But um, I, you know, I'd hear this song and go, "Oh wow, I haven't heard that one before." And I mentioned it to to other people, and it was always just something that that was on the back burner, and it was moved to the front burner by Rob McComb. Actually, we just decided, yeah. We should record these songs, if if for nothing else, just for our own benefit. What's it like going through someone's demos like that? Because you know, a lot of musicians, you you put down some strange things that you never think will see the light of day. Does does it feel kind of um, like you're flicking through someone's diary? Is it a strange feeling? Uh, well, I was also flicking through his diaries. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So, um, it, look, um, it can it can feel a bit a bit weird, but in in Dave's case, he left behind a lot of stuff that sure. was like head and shoulders above what anybody else would um, you know would have in their front pocket. And he just had, sort of had him stuffed in his back pocket. Yeah. Um, perhaps. Uh, and also I knew that um, for the second half of of the 90s, which is when a lot of these songs come from, um, Dave wasn't well. Um, he wasn't really in a situation to record, to, to record the songs. Um, he would like to have, I'm sure. But, and we did rec- like one or two songs on it were recorded in in a kind of rudimentary fashion, but um, uh, most of the others they're, they're just things that that he um, had been working on and um, never got round to to actually properly recording. And so you drew together a group of people, you know, people who knew Dave or younger people like Alex Gow who wouldn't have known Dave uh, to, to kind of flesh out these songs. How do you go about doing that respectfully or maybe even unrespectfully might have been your decision? You know, how, how well, do you finish someone else's songs or, or flesh them uh, out? Well, we, most of the songs were finished. Okay. Um, and we had a reasonable idea in most cases of how how the song should go. But as far as the personnel goes, um, a lot of these of the people involved, um, the people who didn't know Dave, they probably came into into our sphere of of um, influence by um, the Triffid shows that we've been doing over the sure. past dozen years or so. Uh, Alex was a singer for at least some of those shows. Um, JP Shiloh has been a, a major part of of the Triffid shows and has played with us in Australia and overseas. Um, Angie Hart had never done anything with us, but um, Angie knew Dave quite well. Angie, we used to go around to uh, uh, Linda Geber's place for barbecues and Angie would often be sitting there talking to Dave about this and that. Um, So she knew Dave, but she'd never actually um, performed with any of us. Um, Who else is there? Oh, um, and um, Romy Vega was somebody who was suggested by uh, Alex, I think. Sure. And Alex, Alex put us in touch with with Romy, and Romy was wonderful. This I'm song, sure that um, Dave would have approved thoroughly. I was looking back through our own archives, and at the Arts Centre in Fremantle, we hosted the launch of Beautiful Waste, that his uh, David's poems. So this ah uh, yes, yes, yeah. So this this actual venue where this show will be in has a kind of history of unearthing lost David McComb artifacts because famously <laughs> am I right in thinking that th- there was a note written on those poems that said if found publish yes yes that's true is there any more are we done now is there any more to um, unearth oh well we titled our our um, album volume one so <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah, there, there are okay there are yeah, there's, there's more there's more stuff well that brings me on to this um, next question 
the the Triffids, I think, of all bands, has this incredibly devoted nerdy following. And you mm. you um, moderate the band's website, I believe. Still, what do you think that's about? Why are your fans so thirsty for this material and so devoted? Oh, look, um, it's a difficult question for me to to mm. answer. And it tends to be a regional thing too. Um, like there's, there are lots of people in the UK who go to extraordinary lengths to listen to anything that they possibly can. Uh, and also in Belgium and in Scandinavia, um, just there's pockets of um, fervent fans all around the world. Um, like. As an example, um, the when the when the Triffids website had a had an active forum going, most of those people have now moved to the Facebook page. But um, sure. uh, we had an active forum going for some time, and um, somebody I can't remember who somebody suggested that there should be a plaque put up in London at the at the studio where we recorded Born Sandy. And people kind of, you know, grabbed the ball and um, started actually doing it. And uh, they did actually arrange to um, to have a plaque mounted on the at at the um, at the place where the studio was. It's no it's no longer a studio, but um, it's still there. Uh, and we actually went to the unveiling of the plaque. Mm. That was all done by the UK fans. I was reading a bit more about Dave's life post the Triffids, and I didn't realise that he'd studied art history at the Uni of Melbourne. We are an art centre, so when you play, you'll be surrounded by art. Can you tell me a bit more about that part of Dave's life and his interest in visual art? I think he was studying something very esoteric. Such I think he, something like the cross in Byzantine art something like that right um he was look dave was um always interested in art he had friends who were artists um he wasn't an artist himself but uh he had a a, a deep abiding interest in art and he would always always go to galleries wherever we were and i think um Paintings in particular had a had a very profound effect on him. I was just speaking to the curator of our collection at the Fremantle Art Centre, the City of Fremantle's collection, and he was saying how in this downtime he's been going through the artworks and how the virus is putting this strange new layer of meaning on certain things. Yeah. Um, have you found that with either Trifford's songs or David's songs? Because David's songs were kind of quite often people talk about how they're about isolation and the idea of being mm. alone, being from Perth. Do you think in these times there's something we can learn from that music? Well, uh, yeah, Dave, if you go, th- if, you, if you actually sit down and make a, a, um, an in-depth study of the things that he was writing about, um, often you think, how did he know that? Because um, sure. you know, there's, a, there's a particular song on... Uh, on on our on the uh, record that we put out, uh, which gives it its its title, um, 
and that that's it's called this whole world's about to slide yes yeah goodness knows it did <laughs> it's like yeah um and it you know it's not specifically obviously about this um but but he he was writing i don't know he 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 had a broad brush and there were many layers to his songs and you can probably find you can probably find a dave song to suit just about any sort of um world calamity i yeah. want to to finish up graham the other kind of funny through line we've got at, at the art center is the pedal steel in that lucky ocean lucky oceans is kind of our patron saint and yeah. he, he yeah. has run concerts there for a long time the sonic sessions and we've got a strange affinity with the pedal steel i think you and lucky are definitely australia's most preeminent steel players what what, yeah, well, what, what i wouldn't put myself in uh, lucky's um at lucky's level but um well i've i've hung out with lucky a fair bit and uh yeah been been amazed by his playing he did play with the triffords once discuss tell me more i didn't know that yeah he i don't know whether he even remembers but um uh, I used to sing a song called Once a Day, which is a very out-and-out country song. Uh-huh. Um, ended up being an albatross around my neck. But um, we, I think it, it, was at, it was at one of the smallish suburban gigs in, in Perth. Okay. And I'd, I think I asked him to come along and play pedal steel on it, and he did. There you go. So he... He came out of the audience and sat down at my pedal steel and and uh, made me feel very embarrassed about my own playing. <laughs> I notice on your own band camp you describe yourself as as a pioneer of the pedal steel in a non-country setting, which is really interesting. Is is that something that has interested you about the the instrument because it's so synonymous with country um, music? It, not well. Um, it's it's just how things turned out. Because when I joined the band, I'd only been playing the steel for about uh, nine months. Right. So I actually had to learn on the job. Yeah. And uh, and my brief was not to play any country stuff. That's a so, hard task if you put someone in front of a steel and said, "Don't play country well, licks." Well, that's no, that's exactly what I what I had to do, and. Um, and to this day, I'm I'm pretty hopeless on on all the real country stuff. Yeah. But I but I have a it's it's sort of gifted me with a with a style of my own. Um, it's and, such an evocative instrument. Like Daniel Lanois is someone that's done that as well. Like yeah, non yeah, non country exactly. steel. Mm. But I think well, like when when I joined the band, which was '85, as far as I know, there were no no other steel players in in non-country bands yeah um and and as i said it was it was purely through circumstances that 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 it came about i really shouldn't have been um playing pedal steel in the band because that wasn't my main instrument at the time but what was your main uh, instrument at the time (laughs) oh well i was a guitar player and uh i played sort of I played lap steel, um, but pedal steel was very new to me. And in fact, when Dave asked me to um, to join the band, 
I said to him, what do you want me to play? And he said, pedal steel. And I said, you do know that I can't actually play it. I've only been <laughs> playing for nine months. And he said, yes, that's why I asked you. Right. Because he, he wanted a blank canvas. I hope you're enjoying this. Look, in lieu of any pesky ads, I hope you don't mind me pointing in the direction of our website where Revealed, our annual showcase of new and emerging WA Aboriginal art, has recently gone live. There's beautiful work by more than 100 Aboriginal artists from all over Western Australia, and it's all for sale. We weren't able to hang the exhibition, but it's all for sale and all viewable on our website still, so I really encourage you to check that out. It's www.fac.org. Back to Robert McComb. Well, it's so good to be home. Yes, it's so good to be I, I love that song. Do oh, you, me too. Is is that about your childhood home, the cliff, do you think? What what, what do you read into oh, that one? Well, it's um like nearly all of Dave's songs, there's a real sort of uh, individual perspective that is universal at the same time of, of the you know the prodigal son re- returning home. Yes, and, and you know, but but it's also very personal. You can you know having returned to Perth on a flight, um, and seeing the the river and the highway, and and you know, um, so it appears to be one thing, but is also another, just with the the tone of the song, of the lyrics. You know, the lyrics are so. Uh, sort of, amb- they're ambiguous—not just ambiguous, but they're evocative of something else. Particularly with the, the sort of, yeah, I guess you'd call it a cor- chorus section, where you're sort of um, staring at the ceiling uh, all night long, staring at the ceiling, same damn feeling. It's a bit like uh, a similar lyric to another song, "Lucky for Some," where he's clearly the lyrics are from a hospital perspective of a hospital bed which we knew Dave also had that experience later in life staring at the fan blades and the hospital ceiling yeah so there's there's that real sense of unease and and um a sort of anxiety I guess yeah underneath underneath the you know the the obvious so good to be home you know and pulling the sheets up over your head but it's not sort of a comfortable feeling either it's sort of a it's yeah, and it was just because it's such uh, essentially a very simple and bare bones of the song. It was one that we could really uh, put put some ideas into how to create an atmosphere that we think uh, suits the song. Yeah, and that that principle was applied throughout the record. You know, most of the songs are well, almost all had not been recorded by a band, only two of the main set anyway. So we had the chance to, say, start from scratch. And They, they you know, sound uh, so contemporary. They don't sound like demos recreated as if they were recorded when the demo was captured. They sound, some of the songs, like the Second Nature sounds like it could be a Courtney Barnett song. You know, they, they sound uh, very yeah, that, fresh and great. Yeah, well, we, on a the song in the sense that he he's such a great writer that each song suggests a, a style, I guess, or, yes. or 
And so with that song, Second Nature, it was clearly the poppiest sort of sounding song. And and when we'd sort of, we'd, we'd just sit down with uh, uh, Mark Dawson on drums and Phil on bass and me and Graham on guitars just as a, to work out before we even got singers in, we just sort of worked out the songs, tried to have an idea of what sort of music and what arrangement would suit each song sure. best. And that one, you just sort of went strummed through it and go, oh, it's just, it just writes itself. It's just such yeah. a, it's a matter of making it just bubble along. And, uh, and then the, again, the insidious lyric sort of let it seep out somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- th- it's disarming. You know, they, it might sound oh. up, upbeat, but then there's this melancholy darkness in so many of Dave's songs. Yeah. It's, it's, um, that one is almost, um, well, it's open to interpretation and, but uh, again, which is a, a good sign of good writing, so that you know many people can relate to the song in their own way. Yeah. But um, that's why it was uh, such a pleasure, pleasurable. Well, not just pleasurable, but rewarding project to do because we knew the songs were good. It was just a matter of how we would uh, how we would go putting it together. And I haven't been doing much music for a long time, all through the the 90s and noughties really oh, bit, bits and pieces here and there but you know with Trifford's reformations or what do we call it, tribute Trifford shows and things yeah. but apart from that Graham and Phil had been playing with the Black Eyed Susans for a long time and with Mark Dawson on drums as well so they they had a real uh, um, musical relationship already and very uh, very sort of understood each other very well so sure. As soon as we started rehearsing, it became very clear oh, this is going to work. It really um, some songs presented challenges, and we had to be completely restructured. But that was part of the the adventure. But you know, it was, it was quite a lot of work, but pleasurable work. No desire sounds like it could be on the radio, you know, as well right yeah. now. Is, yeah. Is that Alex's input, or, or or what's the story with that one? That's a very you know, that's a great well, song. If you're familiar with the original version, I'm not. Which is on tape six. So those three songs that are bonus tracks on the CD are all taken from early Trifford's tapes, which we did tapes one to six, six. Got it. Cassettes tapes before we even did a single. So, and I wasn't involved in the first three of those. So Phil left the band after tape three, and I remarkably replaced him. Uh, for tapes four, five, and six, and somewhere in the shadows, no desire. Thanks for everything. They're all on tapes five and six, I think. Okay. Uh, and it wasn't so much that well, they're they're, they're lost in the sense that nobody like yourself really know knows of those. Ta- but real fans have been able to get access to those okay. tapes through uh, reissues that Domino did on a, on a box set uh, okay. CD of uh, stuff that's pretty hard to get now. But I guess sure. sort of. Um, probably on Spotify, it's probably available there somewhere. So, but um, no desire. Again, it was clearly a standout sort of uh, a poppy style song with with a um, the, the, the lyrics from those earlier songs don't have have a different atmosphere than his later writing in the sense that they're they're very clever and. Uh, um, and twisted in their own way, uh, and very, very deep, and and not 
they're incredible for for an eighteen year old to have write, written them, and and all thanks for everything and Summer in the Shadows are all amazing songs. But it's interesting to see that the later songs have a it's just something of life experience, you know. He's, he's yeah. more there's more sort of open tragedy in them, I guess, and more. Uh, I'm not sure what it is, but yeah, no desire. It's uh, has a great driving sort of guitar sound, and all those songs that were done on on tapes one to six, you know, that you could argue we didn't need to re-record them. They are they those early Triffords recordings are amazing in their own right and they don't need to be recorded re-recorded it's just we had the opportunity and and in and in looking through these cassette tapes or listening to these cassette tapes david made there was references and he would start singing you know the, the chorus to thanks for everything and singing the whole song in a slightly different feel right clearly sort of showing well saying to me and graham listening to it, well, he wanted to do to go back to that he thought it was worth re-recording or performing live or something and and same with summer in the shadows um and uh notice our, i i knew that he always thought it was a you know a song that would stand up stand the test of time in a sense so and like i say it still sounds quite uh contemporary all the, all those early ones do because they're they're so or they're just typical of all the early Triffid songs that were adventurous, melodic, um, but sophisticated, and but but not too. I don't know. They kind of had a sense of um, uh, joy, almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just going back to "So Good to Be Home." What was David's relationship like with Western Australia at the time? You know, in uh, post Triffids, would he come back? Was was he? happy with Perth or was there a kind of cultural cringe thing where he didn't yeah. like coming back or? Look, I, I don't really know. As I said, in the 90s, Dave was doing his solo record in the early part of the 90s. Um, although, you know, we'd spent all the 80s together and um, I could see that he liked being in Melbourne because of the musical uh, community here and... Um, yeah, um, I don't think it was it. He, he really liked, as far as I knew, really liked Perth and loved going, you know, to the farm, for instance, family farm down near Ravensthorpe and um, and liked just being in Perth. But at the same time, like you say, there was all throughout uh, recorded in his songs is this sort of... Um, love-hate relationship, I guess, with, with your hometown. Yeah. And a song like uh, Hometown Farewell Kiss, you know, which is a song about somebody burning. The, the, the king, It was based on the King's Park arsonist, I think, that, that event. Sure. Uh, well, as, as, a, as a setting for, for a song. Um, so, no, I don't think Dave uh, had anything against Perth or WA, Per se, it was just the way life, you know, life turns took him. They'd end up living in Melbourne in the 90s. Beautiful Waste, um, the collection of David's poems, was also launched at the Art Centre. Are these kind of collections of new material um, very therapeutic for you, particularly as, you know, a brother? What, what do these events um, do for you? 
uh, it's um, sort of heartening, really, when you see his. Uh, it's, it's a personal thing. It's nice to see his work um, stand. I guess so. The the book of poems. I mean, he he'd always written poetry when I yeah, yeah written poetry, and he it was it's, it was something separate than his songwriting, and he'd also written stories, short stories, anyway. Um, quite a few of those in, in the 80s and 90s. Something... So when uh, I think it was uh, somebody just found this book, uh, literally he'd written on the front, if if found, please publish, and it was a book, his book of poems. It was all put together. He was a very good archivist. You know, if you, if you have a look on... Um, say, in the Triffords website or on the Facebook site where Graham has put up and or it's in the these early notebooks that Dave put together yeah. um, documenting the, the Triffords' life. They're in also the, the vault, the museum, the Australian Music, uh, what do they call it, uh, yeah, here in, in at the Art Centre here in Melbourne. There's yes. another one in Perth that Alsie and Jill tell me about at the WA Museum have started up there. Sure. local cultural artefacts or something. But in those uh, notebooks, and there's more of them, uh, yeah, it just shows the uh, that early early creativity. So he, he was quite an archivist, was he? He was, he was holding on to this stuff. And has this made projects like this easier for you? He, he would actually, you know, put things away uh, and catalogue them kind of. This project has just been the songs, but the Triffids' career, as I say, was so well documented. He, he wrote the history of the Triffids' before it even happened, is a sort of tongue-in-cheek thing, wow. for instance. And he um, he records, you know, the, the night that Phil Kukulis called him and said he's leaving the band. So the, these are um, artefacts now, yeah, in the, in the museum and can be accessed. But it shows, yeah, just his creativity, his, uh, his sense of the importance of recording things so that, so it's not lost, I guess. That's the end of this week's episode. Thanks very much for listening. Make sure you tell your friends if they're fans of the Art Centre that we've just launched this. Uh, and also that show, A Truckload of Sky, The Lost Songs of David McComb, is just on sale now. We've just put it back on sale for January 30, 2021. In the next episode, we'll be chatting to Tim Rogers legendary Australian songwriter from UMI. And we also have a chat with Andre Lipscomb coming up, who, have this, who is the City of Fremantle Collections curator. Andre and I go through six significant works from the city's collection and talk about what they tell us about the Fremantle of old and Fremantle today. And the intro and outro music you've been hearing in this episode is by Odette Mercy and her Soul Atomics. Great WA soul band. Thanks so much for allowing us to use that music offer and crew. And thanks to to the friends of David McComb for allowing us to use It's So Good To Be Home. We'll see you next week. <laughs>